Let us pray. It's a noisy world we live in. And part of this is we want to be surrounded by noise. We live in a world where most people do not want silence anymore, maybe because they are afraid of it. So, Lord, you know our schedule. We turn the TV on when we wake up. We turn it off when we go to bed. During the day, surrounded, music, car, people talking, on the phone. In the midst of all of this, there's a God trying to get our attention. And Lord, I know, if our days are so full and our thoughts are so full, it is probably a little bit difficult to get our attention. Because you are God, you can do whatever you want, but the book of Revelation tells us you just come and knock. That's what you do. You don't break in and take over. There's a knock from, from God, asking us to open, to hear, and to see. That's why I think you meant for us to have silence on a Sunday. To come together just in quietness and for a moment step away from all the, the things that keep us so busy and focus for this hour on our only holy living God. So I pray, Lord, that the words that I need to share, the things we're going to do with communion, that all of this will bring you the glory and that you can use all of this to speak to us because we need to hear the words from God. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's a sign next to the road that you're driving almost every day. You don't give it much attention. There's lots of signs going up in Orlando. You know, little ones, big ones. You know, it's pressure washing this, get a new roof, this, whatever. You know, all of these little signs. Many times I need to take away a lot of them here on our church property. People think it's a great place to put a sign in front of the church, but okay. And we don't always look at these signs because, you know, it's too small to read what the sign is actually saying, you know, and I need to focus on the cars and on the traffic around me and my day ahead of me. I've got my phone, my radio, all the stuff going on, so I just pass the sign. Oh, and then one day, the trees are gone. Do you know how many times I've said that, that to Louise or to my children? The trees are gone. There's this nice patch of trees on your way to Disney. The trees are gone. And they're still clearing the land. And your first thought when you see this is, what are they going to build now again? Another apartment complex with bland windows and hundreds of cars. And look, the road is already full. We don't need more stripples. So probably more people coming because everybody wants to come and live in Florida. Because, man, why not? This weather is fantastic, you know. Guys are freezing upstairs, uh, up, up north, and we are fine here down below. So this whole idea of a sign and cleaning of land, whatever, came to mind when I started to read the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to read just eight verses for you today. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I sent my messenger before thy face who shall prepare thy way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And they went out to him all the, of the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem. 
and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather girdle around his waist and ate locusts, that sounds fantastic, and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of our Lord. A while ago, somebody asked me a very interesting question. A person said to me, so who do you love more, your children or your grandchildren? I gave it a moment of thought, and I said, you know, I think every parent loves them equally, your children and your grandchildren. But there's a difference with your grandchildren. I said there's a vulnerability if you look at a grandchild that you can't really explain that all of us know and we see. When you look at these little ones, you know, but it is impossible for them to take care of themselves. If you would leave a baby, they will die. You know, I'm from Africa. The normal animals, they sort of can make it, but not our, our humans. We, we, we can't make it. I need someone to feed me, to bathe me, to keep me warm, to carry me around. All of those things need to happen when you are a baby. And that is the thing, I think, that touches the heart of humans touches the heart of a grandparent, is when you look at these little ones, that, that little kid sitting there, and you see their vulnerability. My kids are older. I love them to death, but I think they are supposed to be able to take care of themselves. Now, of course, they have children, so they should be able to take care of themselves. Can't have children raising children. So you love them equally, but there's a bit of a difference. I wonder how God loves us. Does God love me as an adult? Or does he love me as a child? As a little one? If I look at my Bible, what I discover is that God actually loves us as a little one. We see ourselves as adults. We are, and I've seen this with these little ones. This last two or three days since we had Rena at home, you know, Rena, do you want to eat something? No, you know, she can cross her arms and say no. This is how we act. God, we know what we want, how we want it, and how we want to do life. We know all of this. God looks at me and he says, Ferdy, you're just a toddler. You have no idea. And this is what I think the people do not understand in this world. If God would stop taking care of us for one single moment, we will cease to exist. You and I will cease to exist. Even the atheists out there. It's part of God's common grace. His universal grace that people can be alive and they can love and they can interact with one, one another and have a life. It's part of God's general provision that that is possible. But without God, if He would remove His hand from this world, all life will cease in a moment. Because life comes from God and is given by God. And because God loves us so much, He knows that there needs to be an answer for our crisis that we are in. Because we are in crisis. We are in crisis in our relationship with Him, with others, with this world, with ourselves mostly also. That's why people get so depressed and people get so down and they are so frustrated with themselves because they do not have a good relationship with themselves. And that's why God decided, but I need to step into this world to come and tell the world and come and tell the people, you can't without me. You can't do it without me. I'm the only answer that you can have. And God started putting up signs. 
he started putting up signs. Right through the Old Testament. If you page through the Old Testament, you'll find these dots. Constantly these dots of signs that God placed next to his people, in the midst of his people, around his people to say, hey guys, there's something big. No, someone big coming. And it's part of my plan of salvation for you guys. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand, and it is I who say to you, fear not, I will help you. Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, behold, I sent my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. A God of high, steeping low, that we may know. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Those are the words of someone that dearly loves a small one. The signs that God placed out there for people to know, for his own people to know. Now the preparation. This John, he's in the wilderness preaching baptism of repentance, forgiveness, clothed with camel's hair, leather girdle, ate locusts, <laughs> wild honey. He was a strange guy. Why was he so strange? Look at that, look at that machine. You can't clear a land with your little Kia. You can't clear a land with any car that's outside in our parking lot. You can't. The vehicle is not built to do this. You need a bulldozer. John the Baptist is a bulldozer, with respect. That's why he looks so different. Because his task is so different. You know, I many times I asked, why is he in the wilderness? There is no one in the wilderness. Why would you preach in the wilderness? You preach on the market square. You preach in the church, in the temple. This guy is out in the field there. There's no one there and he's preaching. I do not know to who. But eventually somebody said, there's this weird guy in the wilderness. We need to go and find what he's saying. And slowly but surely, people start to find their way to the bulldozer with respect to John the Baptist. And when they saw him, they said, there's something weird about this guy. And the main reason why John was so strange was there was a lot of symbolism about the wilderness and about his belt and all this stuff. That's not for now. That's a different sermon. But the important thing is that John was different. Because he was a little bit like the bulldozer, he had to clear the land. He had to say, the signs that you guys saw in the past is now coming to fruition. And this is my task. My task is to sort of to start to clear the land that you guys may notice what is coming. And what did he do? Two things. He pointed. You see in this picture I have there, this mom is showing to her child something, and now he's pointing, and she's pointing, and eventually he wouldn't see if she wouldn't see. That's what you do with children. Because you notice things that they many times do not see, and you want them to see this. Look at the bird, look at the plane, do whatever. The problem is you can, you can completely miss Jesus. The problem is you can miss the Son of God in the midst of people completely. For some reason, God decided to make Jesus' birth so normal and so natural and so okay that people could miss it completely. You know, with a, with, God is God. He could have placed a big sign in the sky. Jesus is coming. You know, like these guys flying with airplanes trying to write this stuff above, above Disney. God could written it with his hand in the sky, had clouds, former formation, whatever. And he didn't do it. 
the angels knew and they sang a song for shepherds. And the wise men came and they did their thing and, and Jesus was born like there in Bethlehem. Small little town. Because God's way of dealing with us is not doing big things in that sort of way. God is sending signs and then people to point. Because God wants to work through people. And that was the task of John the Baptist, just to point and say, the one that the signs were up already in the Old Testament, he's here. He's here. And the second thing is, he was preaching. He was preaching a sermon of repentance. And what does repentance mean? The word repentance in Greek just means to turn. To turn away from focusing on the piano and now focusing on you guys. So repentance means, John said, you guys are looking at life and all the stuff that's going on. I want you to turn for a moment and see God again. If you don't see God, you will not see what God wants to do. If you don't see God, you won't hear what God wants to say. If you don't see God, you may miss God as God wants to interact and be with you. But Mark starts his gospel with the words, it's the good news. The good news that is proclaimed. The good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's verse 1 of Mark chapter 1. Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he wrote to the Jews. He wanted the Jews to know that Jesus is the one that was born out of the lineage of, of, of David. And, and, and he's, he's the old story of the Old Testament. So it starts off with a genealogy. When Luke started his gospel, he said, you know, I was thinking a lot about all that happened, and I did good research, and that's why I wrote my gospel, that people will know the story of Jesus. It's well uh, uh, thought through. All the details, facts are here, because Luke was a doctor. John, when he wrote these stories, he, he just started off and, and said, you know, I'm going to write seven sermons about Jesus. And that's what you'll find in the gospel of John. But Mark was the first guy who wrote his gospel, and and and. He starts off with, a, with, a, with just a statement. This is the beginning of the good news about the Son of God, Jesus. Done. He doesn't discuss it. He doesn't talk about it. It's, a, it's actually a declaration of faith. And it started this way. That the Son of God is with us. We have made God a bit small, I think, in many ways. So, so, you know, we see the baby Jesus in the manger. Oh, it's so cute. And it's true. But he's the son of God. And who is this God that we so easily mention and talk about? He's the one that created the universe. And what we can see is only part of what God wants us to see. And what we have discovered is galaxies that are bigger than the Milky Way that we are a part of. We've discovered all this stuff out there, and it's, it, it's so far because, you know, they need to measure this in distance, the distances in, in light, light years. How long it will take light at 168,000 miles a second to move from that point to this point. That's all we know. But my God made that. And your God made it. He's the one who created the earth and the sun and the moon, and he held it in his hand, the Bible tells me. And recently I heard that they now said an experiment they did in the 50s to try to see if they could create life by having a flashlight, next, uh, a lightning flash next to some pool of rubbish. That was actually, it didn't work. They thought it worked a little bit, but now they discovered that something in the glass also helped this thing to seem as if it could work because you can't create life in a laboratory. You can't. Life can only come from life, and that's from God. 
And now Mark says, we are talking here about the Son of the only holy living God that's here, and that's the best news ever. It's the beginning of the best news for any human. What did Lewis say about this? The becoming, in becoming a man, the Word breached not only the abyss between holiness and sin, but the infinity between Creator and creature. In Jesus, God permanently joined Himself with creation, becoming a creature Himself, united forever with our race as a kinsman, redeemer, which is Old Testament speaking for our rich big brother. C.S. Lewis. Athanasius of Alexandria, the year 373 AD after Christ was born, but as God, He could elevate human nature to something hitherto unimagined. For He was made man that we might be made God, and He manifested Himself by a body that we might receive the idea of the unseen Father, and He endured the insolence of men that we might inherit immortality. Now tell me if that's not good news. Tell me if that's not good news. A God formed from high, bending low. To do what? To offer Himself. That He can take care of us. My second last slide. So you can see all the decorations in church and outside and whatever. And as I see these things, I, I, I want to say to you, when you look at church and you know, Christmas decorations now, here in church and outside, See them as signs. See them as these signs that says someone has come. To remind us that, that there's good news that God wants us to know. And then when you, when, you, when, you, when you think about Christmas and the preparation, all the things you need to do, say to yourself, John the Baptist was like a bulldozer. He looked different and he acted different and he spoke a little bit different that people might know about a major event that's taking place Jesus Christ. It's not going to work for me to start to wear camel hair, eat locusts, and eat honey. I, I will not go in this 2021, I promise you. But we can be different. We can be different. You know, in the world that we now live, we, we can actually have a smile and we can actually be positive. Where everybody is so down in the dumps and so negative and so afraid and whatever. Just tell him, you know, it's Christmas. And Christmas actually tells us that the Son of God came because God cares for you. God cares for you like a parent or a grandparent cares for a little child. That's the story of Christmas. The Son of God that came for you. What's our task during this Christmas season? Point. Point. And you know, it is the best time to do this. We've got the biggest excuse ever. During the year, it's sometimes tough to talk to people about Christ. Christmas is impossible not to talk about Jesus. Because everybody wants to talk about Christmas and about gifts and about stuff that's going on. And that's when you can just interject and say, you know, Christmas is fantastic to think that God sent His Son because He cares for me and for you. And if anyone is offended by, the, by this, Sleep on. Good luck.
I would rather say this than care for if they are offended, offended or not because these words are the words that God wants me to say because also I and you are signs of the Son of God that came. Amen.